Thanks, Doug, and morning, church. So good to be together again, and uh, as Doug already commented, uh, today was meant to be a whole lot colder, so his mercies on you every morning, indeed. Uh, today we are continuing in our series on the book of Mark. We've been going through the book of Mark for most of this year, and today we find ourselves at the end of chapter 8, which is a very significant moment in the life of the disciples, and uh, in the book of Mark as well. And um, Jesus has been journeying with his disciples and uh, doing amazing things, healing people, teaching, uh, revealing more of who he is to them. And we come to this amazing moment of realization as the disciples finally start to realize who Jesus is and what he came to do. They start to understand his true identity. And so we're going to be looking at uh, some of that today. But just before I get there, uh, I don't know, maybe a show of hands. Do any of you guys know the game uh, called 20 Questions? You know, right? So that's become a favorite in our, in our house during load shedding where there's nothing better to do and the cell phone tower uh, battery has died and your phone is useless. Uh, we actually talk to each other, you know, and uh, we play the game called 20 Questions. And uh, it's just, if you don't know it, it's a game basically where you think of someone, anyone uh, can be all around the world, dead or alive, uh, famous or someone in your family, anyone. You think of a person and uh, you obviously don't tell the other person who you're thinking of and they've got 20 questions to figure out who, you've, who you're thinking of. And so you ask questions like, is the person dead or alive? It has to be a yes or a no question. Is the person dead or alive? Uh, woman or man? Uh, entertainment, yes or no? What industry? You know, and you, you work your way down until you try to figure out who this person is. And just as we uh, look at the text today and consider the journey the disciples have been on, that's some of kind of a bad example of what Jesus has taken his people through. He's walked with them for three years. And slowly but surely, their uh, picture of who Jesus is is getting refined bit by bit. They're starting to see Jesus just a bit more clearly each day. And finally, we get to this point, maybe the 20th question, where they, where they get it and they see Jesus. So it'll be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, you can ch- turn to Mark chapter 8. And uh, I'll be reading from verse <clears throat> 27 until verse 33. Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And that's uh, that's what we're dealing with this morning. And it's just such a helpful question Jesus wants to uh, bring to us this morning uh, as we unpack what it meant for the disciples and what it means for us today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is one of the most 
This is the most important question we can answer. We've got many uh, questions that are hardwired into the default of the human heart that we spend most of our lives answering. Some of the questions we love to answer is, how can I be happy? How can I have a sense of meaning and significance? Uh, Am I being true to myself? Uh, How can I find healing with the great pain that I'm carrying? We, We ask many of these questions, and these are good questions to answer that I think God has wired us to answer and ultimately find in Him. But it's very interesting this morning how uh, Jesus, in His ministry and His time with His disciples and ministering when He was on earth, the main question He asked people and the main end to which He wants to lead people is the question of who He is, who He is, what is His identity. That's what Jesus seemed to care most about. And I think this is a very important question for us to answer this morning. A.W. Tozer is a great Christian um, theologian. Uh, he, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think what he's getting at there is, is to realize that we are eternal creatures and these things are of eternal importance. And the most important question we can answer is this question of who is Jesus? Because if he's just a man, if he's just a historical figure, if he's just a good example, we can pick and choose what to believe about him. But if he is the Messiah, God himself, come in the flesh to seek and save us, this is something that demands all of our allegiance and faith and belief. And so this is the moment that the disciples get to, and they say, yes, you are the Messiah. You are the one the scriptures have been pointing to all along. This is also an incredibly uh, important moment in the book of Mark because uh, lots of people break the book of Mark into two sections. Mark 1 to 8 uh, is about Jesus' identity and the remainder of the book of Mark, uh, chapter 9 to 16, is sort of about uh, Jesus' mission and, and, uh, and a fast tracking of what he came to do. And uh, it's very interesting that Jesus has taken sort of three years with his disciples to get to this point of them seeing who he is. And some say the remainder of the book of Mark in real time uh, unfolds in about eight days. And so we, that's a, a very quick speeding up of, the, of sort of the end of Jesus' mission. And, and he gets very clear now about what he's come to do. And so he, he poses this question, who do you say that I am? It's a question each one of us must answer, and my prayer this morning is that we'd become convinced again that Peter's answer is the correct answer, and that maybe if you are considering Jesus today, uh, maybe for the first time, or afresh, that uh, God would convince you again of of his uh, identity as the Son of God, the Messiah. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at those questions of his identity. How can we really know who Jesus is? What does it mean to see Jesus clearly? What does confessing faith in him mean? And uh, we're going to look at five points. I know that's a lot of us, so we'll be moving through it fairly swiftly. And the first thing I want us to look at is this. As we answer this question today, who do we say Jesus is? As we confess faith in who Jesus is or consider confessing faith in who Jesus is, The first point is that it starts with and it is based on biblical revelation. Biblical revelation. Now, as I said, for the disciples, Jesus has taken them on this journey. 
And uh, he's been unfolding more of who he is to them. And they've witnessed the miracles. They've witnessed the teaching. They've witnessed all these amazing things. And so when Jesus gets to this point of asking them, who do you say I am, Peter? Who do you say I am, John? And all the rest of the disciples, who do you say I am? Jesus is really asking them, listen, guys, in the light of what you've witnessed for the last three years, in the light of what you've seen me do, in light of what, uh, you've, in light of what you've seen when I've been alone with you, in light of what has been revealed to you by what you've experienced and seen and witnessed, what is the verdict about who I am? And it's an amazing question. But you know what's even more amazing, friends, is that this, uh, today we've got the great privilege of having God's complete authoritative word. And we don't have to only rely on the experiences of God in our lives to come up with a verdict. We don't have to only rely on our feelings or, or what we've experienced of God thus far. We've got a perfect book uh, that is written by God, God's word to us. And we truly do believe as a church that the number one way God has chosen to reveal to us who he is and who Jesus is, is through his word. God's word is the testimony of who the Son of God is. And that's what we get to come under day by day as we, as we seek Jesus, as we try to figure out who he is, as we try to see him more clearly. Throughout history, there have been so many ideas of who Jesus is, all from him being a nice teacher to being just a nice guy to being a political figure to being... Uh, just someone who we can inspire after, or a great example of love. And sure, he was some of those things, but the Bible gives a different answer. And it's the answer Peter gives, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who the whole of Scripture has been pointing towards. Uh, and you can sort of understand this as these fishermen may, may not have known Scripture that well, but they would have uh, definitely sort of in some way been taught uh, scripture throughout their lives as they went to temple and so on. And the whole Bible, even from the Old Testament, even as early as Genesis chapter 3, has told us that there is a Messiah that is coming. Genesis chapter 3, just after the fall, God promises the coming of someone who will fix it all. And he says that uh, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to crush Satan's head and defeat Satan. As early on as then, we've got a promise of his coming Messiah. And then all throughout the Psalms, the prophets, the minor prophets, again and again and again and again, we get reminded of this, prophet, this promise of the one who will come to make all things right. And it's this moment that Peter and the disciples are starting to realize, this is the guy. This is him who we've been waiting for, who the world has been waiting for. Yes, Jesus, it's you. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. Well, I guess my encouragement to us today again is just to become freshly convinced that who the Bible says Jesus is, is is the most accurate, best picture of who Jesus really is. We don't need additional revelation. I don't know if you, um, I don't know if you've watched uh, the History Channel on DSTV ever, but occasionally they have these sort of uh, gospel. Um, or, or these historical moments of, of people going back into the archives and finding some new evidence about who Jesus really is. And, they, 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 you know, people haven't discovered it for 2,000 years, but hey, they've finally cracked the, the code and found this missing piece of who Jesus is. And it's always something random that sounds a bit conspiracy theory-ish, 
But people uh, love that stuff. They, they, I think it's so popular because everyone loves this like new hidden information that gets revealed to us. And I just want to draw us again back to simplicity. God's word is enough. We can take God at his word, at who he has revealed himself to be. It is sufficient for us today. Anything less than that, anything uh, less than who the Bible, God has revealed himself in the Bible to be is actually a reduction of Christ's identity, and it eliminates the gospel. When we take Jesus just to be a, a prophet or, or just a nice guy, or when we change his identity in some way, the gospel dies. And the invitation of God is that we cannot limit who Jesus is. We have to submit to who he's shown himself to be in the Bible. And so we love the Bible as a church. It's why we preach from it every week. We really believe this is God's word to us that is ultimately intended to point us towards Christ and the gospel. Every page in some way shouts the gospel over us. And we really love his word for that. So when we're confused, when we're uncertain, when we're not sure of who Jesus is, we can come back to the pages of Scripture and trust that God's word reveals God's Son toward us. The second uh, point is this, that confessing faith in Jesus requires personal conviction. This is the main point I believe Jesus is making uh, with his disciples here. And if uh, you write in notes, it's, it's verse 27 to 29. And he starts off on this road. It says they're walking together on a journey somewhere. And Jesus is using the moment to teach his disciples. And he says, who do people say that I am? That's his first question. What are the opinions out there about who I am? And they say, John the Baptist, Elijah, just a prophet. And Jesus takes it a step further and he says, okay, great. Those are the opinions out there. What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's incredibly important and helpful towards us. Jesus is drawing us in. And what he's really doing is trying to draw a distinction between the options of who he is and where we stand. Because there will always be a hundred options and opinions about who Jesus is. But what he's really drawing us towards um, today as we consider the question again, is fresh conviction. This is who he is. Not one of the many options, and Jesus is this today and that tomorrow, and his identity changes like he lives in 2021. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And so who do you say he is? It really does matter. He is the Son of God. And so he's inviting us in to become convinced of that once again, that this really is the guy who has come to forgive us of sin and to make us clean and to give us new life and to forgive. Jesus is saying that the question, who do you say I am, is ultimately about having a genuine personal faith. There's a huge world of difference between uh, latching on to the external uh, faith other people have in Jesus and sort of tagging along or owning it as ours personally. This is my faith. Uh, it's a great thing. I'll just say it this morning. Like as a church, we come together and it's so encouraging to see other people sing, uh, particularly when 
we know each other and we, we know some of what each other are going through. And just, just to see each other singing worship to Jesus in the midst of that is incredibly encouraging to our hearts. Worship is given to us as a gift to encourage one another. And that's a good thing. But I think what Jesus would encourage us with today and challenge us with today is, is just this, that there is no such thing as an inherited faith. We can't rely on someone else's faith to see us through. You can't rely on your spouse's faith or your parents' faith or your friend's faith. Ultimately, if it's going to be of any lasting value, it needs to become your faith. It needs to move from being an inherited faith to being an internalized faith. And so Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? It's an invitation again to grab hold of it for yourself and to become again personally convinced of the work and person of Jesus Christ. You are who you say you are, God. And you have done what you said you would do. See, Jesus ultimately isn't asking the question uh, when he says, who do you say I am? The, the answer isn't you, only you are the Messiah. Peter's really saying, you're, you're my Messiah. And that's the question we have to answer for ourselves and the invitation and the opportunity we get to proclaim once again this morning. It's one thing to say he's the Messiah. It's another thing to say, you're my Messiah and I need you, Jesus. Please, would you come be the one who has come to seek and save me? Please, would you come forgive me? Please, would you be my Lord, my Savior? It's a personalized invitation to come to the feet of Jesus and again believe that he is who he said he is and declare our faith in him to be that toward us by his grace for our good and his glory. And if you're struggling with that, and we all do struggle with that at times, and maybe you are just considering the claims of Jesus and, and you, you're really struggling with this and wrestling with this, here's a, here's a bit of encouragement. The third thing the third aspect of confessing faith in Jesus is that it comes with supernatural help. It comes with supernatural help. That confessing faith in Jesus as the Messiah comes with supernatural power to believe. Now, I'm not saying that if you are Christian, you are forced to believe. And rest assured, you can chill. If, you, if you're considering the claims of Jesus, God's not going to come possess you, and before you know it, you become a, a Christian against your will. Of course, you choose to believe, and you lean into God, but the point being made here, and we're going to look at it, is that there is something that you might not even realize happening, happening in your heart, where the Spirit of God is at work in your lives, opening your eyes to see Him more clearly, helping you believe. The lights are getting turned on, helping you see Jesus clearly. And the outcome of that is that we grab onto him. It's an empowered faith by the Spirit. This is good news for us. And Mark has been in very intentional in helping us understand this by the way he set up Mark chapter 8. We believe, of course, all of these things are real stories that happen, but he is an author writing a book for a purpose, and the way he's told the stories and the sequence of it is, is for a purpose. And I believe Mark 8 is designed to help us get this. And it starts with, we'll start looking at it from when Jesus uh, feeds 
the crowd with, with uh, some uh, fish and bread. And this is the second time Jesus has done this in the book of Mark. Firstly, he did it uh, with the 5,000, now he's doing it with the 4,000. And shortly after this time, the disciples are sitting around in a circle telling each other that they're actually feeling a bit hungry here. Jesus, we need some course, my bro. Please sort us out. And they're telling each other, I'm a bit hungry. Where's this food going to come from? And you can sort of read between their lines and their tone. They're sort of uh, uh, expressing despair that they're so hungry and, and that there might not be food available to them. So Jesus comes in and and he, and he actually confronts them, and he uses it as a discipling moment. He says, all right, all right, chaps. When I fed the 5,000, I had five loaves. And at the end of the meal, everyone's sitting on their blankets having a picnic. Uh, and when they went home, you went to go clean up. How many baskets of leftover bread did you fill? And they said, 12. He says, all right. And when I fed the 4,000 just now, I did it with five, I did it with seven loaves. And how many baskets did you fill? They say seven. And, and Jesus responds in conclusion, Mark 8.21, he says, don't you understand yet? That's Jesus' question to them. Don't you understand yet? They, they don't understand clearly. It's a rhetorical question because there's something in their heart that is uh, blinding them. They're, they're unable to see Jesus clearly. The very next account in Mark is a story about Jesus healing a blind man. And uh, we'll look at it a bit more later, but this is there positioned strategically and um, intentionally. And Jesus, uh, Mark, uh, and Jesus clearly is making the point that our problem is that we are blind. We have a spiritual blindness in our hearts, keeping us from seeing Jesus clearly. And we need help. And so the question for us today is, what happened in the lives of the disciples between being unable to understand to now saying, yes, you are the Messiah, the Son of God? Clearly something has happened in their, in their hearts. The lights have gone on. They're able to see Jesus clearly now. And I think it's being made very clearly that the point of all of this is that the Spirit has got involved, helping them see Jesus more clearly. And uh, one of the beauty of having four Gospels is that you get stories told in, in, in slightly different ways with more details. So when we look at this confession, uh, when uh, the, the disciples say, you are the Messiah, who did you say I am? You're the Messiah. When we look at this story in Matthew 16, uh, just after Peter responds saying, you are the Messiah, Matthew 16, verse 17, this is what Jesus says uh, to him. It says, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. This has been revealed to you by the Father in heaven. Just this moment of clarity, the lights have gone on, and they're able and enabled to see God more clearly. The Spirit has been at work in their hearts, and if you're a believer in our hearts, initiating our faith and sustaining our faith. 
we are just so ultimately and, and so um, more than we realize uh, in need of supernatural help, not only in becoming Christian and expressing faith in Jesus, but throughout all of our Christian life, we need the Spirit of God to get involved in our lives. And we do believe as a church in a Spirit-empowered faith that we are carried along by what He's doing at work in us. And uh, I hope this is encouraging, but there is a quote by a guy named J.R. Packer, who we love, a fantastic uh, pastor and theologian. He says this, The Christian's life in all of its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate it and sustain it. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. We're so utterly convinced of this, that we need the Spirit's help at work in us to do something in helping us come to Jesus and see him clearly and respond uh, accordingly. And so I would just love to take a moment here to encourage us with two things. One, we need to and can respond with deep gratitude and thanks and praise. If you're a Christian, this is a gift to you that not everyone gets. And that we can respond by saying, thank you, God, for this gift of mercy towards me. You have been so kind. I do not deserve this gift of grace, but thank you. Thank you. And if your faith is maybe struggling, or as I said, maybe you're, you're just considering the claims of Jesus for the first time, this is something you can pray. This is something you can pray. God, help me believe. Help me see Jesus more clearly. Help me in my pursuit of understanding the gospel and in my faith journey. Help me, Father. He loves to. God loves to get involved, helping us see Jesus more clearly. And if that is something you're struggling with, fourthly, we're going to look at the next point, is, is, is from the text, again, I'm convinced that confessing faith in who Jesus is comes with a progressive clarity. And what I mean with that is, the journey of the Christian faith is that as we journey with God, we see him more and more clearly over time. We don't see Jesus perfectly as we become Christian. We see him part. And as we grow and mature, the longer we journey with him in relationship, the more the Spirit enables us to understand more of who he is and more of what he's done for us and more of who we are and how much we need him. We see more and more of Jesus. Now, of course, this isn't um, as easy as that sometimes. Our faith struggles and sin blinds us and life is confusing at times. But I want to encourage you with that. And if we look back at the story of the blind man, I think that story has also been told intentionally for our encouragement. And I'm not going to go back and read it, but maybe you can do that later for your own our heart, but what it says is that the blind man got healed twice, and he was blind. Jesus comes, spits on his eyes, heals him, and he asks the blind man, what do you see now? And he responds, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Like his face, is a, um, his sight is a bit blurry still, 
not, not fully seeing the picture perfectly. And so Jesus says, all right. He, land, he lays his hands on the man's eyes and heals him for the second time. And he asks him, what do you see now? And his response is, now I can see clearly. And that's the picture of the Christian life. At times we have blurry sight. But the work of God within our lives by his Spirit is to help give refined vision of who Jesus is and to help clarify what is blurry, help us see him more clearly. God intends for our good, like that game of 20 questions, we do the hard work of leaning in, and as we do that, he opens our eyes and clarifies our sight to see Christ more clearly. That's what he loves to do. I think this is incredibly important for us because just on a partial note, we don't come, with, come to Jesus on, uh, on, on neutral terms. Who we see Jesus as being, who we see God as, is informed by so many things that we carry within us. Our pain, our baggage, uh, maybe the, the families we've been brought up in. Maybe you've had terrible church experiences that have left you wondering who God really is and you're trying to make sense of it all. Maybe you're just struggling so much right now that you've stopped believing that God actually loves you or that he's a good father who's, who's pledged himself toward you. Whatever it is, we've, we've got so many things that blur our vision of who he is. And here's the good news, that by the Spirit, like this blind man, when we're in relationship with Jesus, he loves to walk towards us, get involved with us, lay his hands on us as it were, and clarify our vision again and again and again, so that over time, as we keep leaning into him, we see him more clearly. Like as a gift, we start to see him more clearly, that he takes our blurred vision of who he is and turns it into clear-sightedness, 2020 vision. My encouragement again to us this morning, if, if you're feeling spiritually disorientated, this is something you can pray for. He loves to get involved in helping you see him with greater clarity for your own joy and for his glory. One of the ways we do that, just as I come to a close now, is through worship. We stare at Jesus until we see him. You know what I mean? We stare at him until we see him again. And that's um, the fifth thing I want to speak about is, is the last aspect of confessing faith in Jesus is that it leads to increasing worship. The more we stare at him, the more we worship, the more we consider what he's done, the more we consider who he is. Over time, the outcome is that it leads to increasing worship. It would be ridiculous for anything else to happen. You can't consider the cross and consider the resurrection and consider what he's done for you and just go, oh, that's cool. It has to, when we see it clearly, when the weight of all of that bears on us sufficiently, the appropriate response over time, over time, is that worship increases. We just have to respond and, and just realize in, in, in humility, like, I did not deserve any of this. Yet in the gospel, you have been overwhelmingly generous in your grace towards me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As we consider the cross, as we consider... His resurrection, but again in the story, 
the disciples don't quite get it yet. And this is one of the privileges we have of having the Bibles, that we get to see the fuller picture, or a, fuller, a much fuller picture than they did. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, yes, I'm the Messiah, but this is what it means to be the Messiah. I have to be rejected. I have to be killed. And then I will rise again. And it's clear from how the disciples respond that that's not what they defined a Messiah by. They thought being a Messiah meant things would change now, physically, on earth. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and says, listen, my mate, I think the hot sun has gotten to your head a little bit. Uh, and, he, and he uses the word saying, he begins to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? This is ridiculous. But such was his uh, uh, such as what he thought it meant to be the Messiah. He had, he had made so many assumptions about what that meant, and Jesus, in his love, takes a moment to, to, to just reorient them to, to his mission. And he says, get behind me, Satan, calls Peter Satan, and says, you're not thinking about God's concerns, you're thinking about human concerns. And I just want us to pause on that and respond to that this morning. We're going to take communion just now if you're a believer, and Doug will lead us into that, is that as we consider what were God's concerns, when he says that, you're not thinking about God's concerns. What, what were God's concerns? Well, it's clear. He says there, I have come, and I'm just paraphrasing, to suffer, to be rejected, and to be killed. And then I will rise again. And we need to let that weigh on us again. Not in a way that it would make us uh, sort of hate ourselves, but that we'd see the beauty of this gift towards us again. He suffered and died for our sin. The cross we deserve to bear, Jesus bared it for us. He died on the cross for our sin, in our place. We deserve to be there. He took it for us. We deserve the punishment for our sin. Jesus took it on our behalf. This is an amazing act of grace towards us. This is the concern of God. He has come to pay the price and absorb the punishment for sin that we deserved in order to make us right with God. And so he offers us that again this morning as we consider who Jesus is. Afresh, we can consider what it means to be the Messiah, that he came to do this. And uh, this was clear for the disciples even in the Old Testament. We're going to look at, uh, I don't know if I put it up, but it's it, one last verse in Isaiah 53 verse 5. It says this, and this is a prophecy about Jesus. It says this, Jesus, it said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to do this for us. And in light of the cost of salvation, it's appropriate for us to pause and again reorient our hearts to a place of saying thank you. And just to let us sit there until our hearts really feel again the deep gratitude within us. Over time, as we look at Jesus day in and day out, we'd see the gospel with fresh eyes. 
and that as a result, worship will overflow within us towards him. He's done so much for us. And we can respond with deep worship, increasing worship over time, the more we stare at Jesus and consider the gospel. Just as we wrap up, I, w- I want to just encourage us today, and I've said this a few times, and I just want us to share it for another time. If, if, if you are considering the claims of Jesus, I'd love um, you, if you're online or with us in this today, just come and chat to us or get in touch with us. We'd love to answer questions you have or help you take a next step or, or resource you or just to hear you uh, and to be with you and co- help you take another step in your journey. Uh, and if you are already a Christian, uh, as we take communion now, this is a moment for us to celebrate again and to remember it's a key word in the Bible, remember, because we're prone to forget, to remember until the appropriate uh, affections are stirred up within us and look at Jesus until we are seeing him with fresh eyes again. And so, um, as, as I said, we believe that the Spirit helps us do that, and then we're going to respond in, in singing. So let's pray together, and then Doug will lead us into communion. Jesus, thank you so much for your gift of grace uh, in our lives. Thank you, God, that you are uh, active. You're not passive. You're not waiting for us to discover you. You have come to earth to show us who you are, and then you and your sovereign grace have given us your your word, the Bible, um, that we might find who you are in it. Uh, it's, It's not only a matter of conjecture or opinion. You've given us this word, and we want to take you at your word. And we're so thankful that as we read it, we are encouraged to again see Jesus for the King of grace that he is. That you have done everything to heal us. That by your stripes we are healed. That all of our sin was put on you. And that we can have a new life. And that not only that, you've given us and give us continually the gift of your spirit within us to empower us to see the gospel more clearly. And this morning, we might not feel uh, anything like magical, but we know that as we lean into you, you do something sometimes hidden, but definitely you're at work doing something in us, helping us uh, know and understand and respond to the gospel and be conformed to the image of Jesus more clearly. And we ask that you would just meet us again this morning, encourage our hearts for those of us who are feeling Um, unworthy or overwhelmed with pain, we pray this morning that you would give us gospel eyes. Help us see your great love for us. Help us know your presence with us and your nearness towards us by your spirit. And help us respond with deep gratitude and worship as we consider in the coming weeks more of what you've done for us and more of who you are toward us as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.